Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen, amen. Just slip up your hands and just tell Jesus you love him for a second. Just, just do that. Amen, Lord. We just love you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Lord, I recognize your awesome presence in the house. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in this house tonight, God, all that you have already done. Lord, we just thank you and we just give you the glory and we give you the praise, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. It, uh, it is awesome to be here tonight. So excited. I was just telling Pastor, I got stuck in traffic on 75. They, they just, they've literally ripped it up, and it's not there anymore. So they're all, all the lanes are shut down and got rerouted, and, and uh, so I'm a little tumbled, so forgive me. Uh, I, I, expect, I would have been here, uh, oh, about 5.30, I guess, a uh, quarter after. So uh, I was stuck in traffic for about an hour or so. That's okay, amen, we're here now. I was listening to Pastor, and uh, of course, thank you so much, brother, amen. I uh, was listening to Pastor, um, I have, um, I'll just, you know, uh, I think everybody here knows me mostly, and, and uh, I'll just share with you a little bit. I was listening to Pastor because um, I was really seeking God, God, what do you want me to share tonight? And uh, I am... I study and I pray and I seek God for every single service. There's never a service that I, I don't spend time seeking the Lord about. But uh, I also come in with a word ready in my heart and in my hand and, and uh, just asking God to speak to me. And last night I spoke with Pastor on the phone and after we were done talking, I felt like I had clear direction about what to talk about. And then uh, uh, the Lord spoke to me, and I'll talk about this more later, and gave me something that he wants me to do before every service, and I was fulfilling this thing that God asked me to do, and I was just uh, talking with him, and I had something else coming to my spirit, and I thought, Lord, I'll change whatever you want me to say. Lord, I'm good with that, but I want to be in your will. I want to share with the people exactly what I'm supposed to share with them tonight, and then as your pastor was talking, uh, my heart just leaped because uh, he was kind of... Uh, preluding what I was going to say in the service, so that was just awesome to me, and it's always awesome when God does those kinds of things, amen, so uh, if you'll turn with me to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 10, I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 46, and I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, and then I'm going to share some things with you tonight, share some testimonies that I think will build your faith, would that be okay tonight, amen, and uh, share some things about, about revival and some things that are in my heart that are going to, uh, I believe, uh, just kind of take us to a place in the spirit I believe God wants us to go to tonight. Amen. And um, in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, <coughs> excuse me, they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he would hold his peace, but he cried all the more. And Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him and called. And he said, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he cast away his garments, and he rose, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What will that I do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus. Lord, once again, I thank you for this word. I ask that it challenge us, change us, and cause us to be all we're called to be. 
In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I was, uh, I was listening to what your pastor was sharing just, uh, just before I came up. I'm so honored to be here. And uh, I am honored by your precious pastors. Uh, what an awesome man and woman of God. Could we just thank God for them for a moment? Amen. We just, I love you. I honor you. Um, I say that because this is like no other place in the country. It's like no other place that I go to. I go to a handful of churches that are hungry for revival, that are hungry and have a revival anointing in it. I mean, of all the places I go to, I was adding up the churches uh, just this weekend, in fact, uh, the church I was at had asked me, and I was in a hard place. I was in a hard place this weekend, Pastor, and so your words were really relevant to me because I was in a hard place. Uh, in fact, Sister Karen had texted me and uh, just let me know she was praying for me and things, and that just meant a lot to me because I was in a hard place at that time, and she didn't know that. You know, and but that's why God connects you with, with people like the river. Amen. Amen. Because because uh, God knows right where you are. But uh, I, I was just really seeking the Lord about some things and really calling on the name of the Lord and and uh, asking the Lord to show me some things. And and I knew I was coming here. You know, that was uh, uh, I was I was preparing for this trip. And and while I while I was doing that, the Lord began to speak to me about this place and how special this place is. And not to build you up or, or anything like that, because I know the humility of this house, this is a special place. And the reason there is a fluidity to the spirit heal here is because there is an open heaven. And uh, it's because you've contended for that. And you've sought God for it. And that's important because, once again, not everywhere has that. Uh, this year, I'll have preached in about 45 different Sundays. Uh, that, that's the best way for me to explain it. So, you know, I, I say I have about six Sundays that I've not preached anywhere, but that's, that's uh, uh, the holiday weekends and, you know, things like that. That turns into about six weeks for the year. So God's been really good to us, but in 45 different places, with the, um, uh, there's just a handful of churches I go to that are hungry for revival or even have any idea what revival is. I have a friend right now. She is in her... 23rd week of revival 23 weeks over here in Oklahoma not very far away from here 23 weeks and when I say that there's not just five people that are coming every night uh, the church is packed out every night their miracles happen uh, they just told me that there have been more than 40 people that have been healed by, with healed of cancer and that God's doing something. So I say all of that to let you know that God is in the midst of, of moving and revival is happening. And uh, I was just, uh, just want to share some things concerning revival with you tonight. And I want to get into the story of Blind Bartimaeus and, and share something very special with you. Um, in 2000, uh, uh, in 1993, uh, I, I'd been invited to go to this little church in Stockwell, Indiana. Uh, there, uh, the church had about 20 people in it at the time. And uh, they had been getting up early every morning praying and asking God to move. Uh, I think they were getting up at 5 or 5.30, but, but between 5 and 6 every morning, they had gone into an hour of prayer. And uh, there was sometimes five people that showed up, and sometimes there was ten. But again, we're talking about a very small church in a rural community. I, uh, I was working, oh, about 20 miles away at a little grocery store. I was still in high school. It was... Uh, September of uh, 92, and uh, I was, uh, uh, my mom calls me, and I didn't have to work on a Tuesday night, and she said, we're going to revival tonight, and I said, no, I said, I don't think I'm going to go, <laughs> you know, and I, I'll be honest, I wasn't saved, 
I was a senior in high school. I, uh, I knew all about the Lord. I loved the Lord, but I wasn't saved. I was going through the motions. I, um, I had a girlfriend at the time, and we were going to go on a date that night. And, and uh, my mom said, we're, we want you to come to, want you to go with me to church. And I said, no, I can't. You know, we're supposed to go do this. And she said, well, you're going to have to change all of your plans because you're going with me to church tonight. And you can bring your friend if you want, but, but you're going to church with me. And I, I'll be honest, I was mad. Now, I was a pretty good kid. Even though I wasn't living right, I, I wasn't a partier. I, I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I've, I've just, uh, God's been gracious to me. But my, uh, um, but, and I honor, always honored my mom. My mom was a single mom. She raised me by herself. And, man, that was a task because I was tough, you know. But, but uh, she, she told me I was going. And so I, I went that night. I didn't want to go. I remember walking in the door, and, and there had been revival that had broke out, a church of 20 people. Now there were no seats anywhere, a, a building that holds several hundred people. There were no seats anywhere. Uh, just recently, uh, the, uh, they posted a video online. Uh, from that revival that took place uh, in 92, it went into 93, and, and I saw the church, and I remember when I walked in how big it all looked, but when I saw the video just recently, it really, Pastor, didn't look as big as it did back then, but the miracles that happened, the healings that, that took place, I mean, it was crazy. My wife, who uh, I met her in that, uh, during that season of revival, there were two evangelists that came in during that time. And uh, they, they were in, a, oh, about a year of revival. Now, it wasn't every night for a year, but it was first an eight-week revival and then a month revival and then two weeks here and two weeks there. And there were two men that really kind of spearheaded this revival. And one of them, the night I had come, and I'd, I'd come, come in September and then in uh, 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 March, I think it was March 8th of 93, I came on a Tuesday night again. And I came in, and this time I was hungry. My whole attitude was different. God had done a work in me in about six months, and I was hungry, and I was ready for a move of God. And, and I'll never forget, there was this little girl in a sailor dress who came bouncing down the aisle, and she sat, sat in the same pew as me. And, and, and I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I said, you know, I, this girl's really really special. I, I'm, I'm just a new, uh, new Christian at this time. I don't know anything about the gifts. And I said, she's just really precious. And then she went into worship. And, uh, man, I just, you know, I really didn't know her, but I fell in love with this girl right away. And the evangelist told this girl that night that um, your husband is in this room. Now, it was my first time in the building, and, you know, I didn't think it was me, but I thought, man, that'd be great if it was me, you know. Well, a year later, I married that girl, <laughs> you know, and it was me, and she didn't know any of this. But during that meeting, my, my wife, she wasn't able to have children. She, uh, uh, her fallopian tubes were 100% blocked. She had a lot of complications. She'd been having a lot of problems her whole life. God completely healed her during those meetings. And now we have three beautiful children. And, and when I say that, there were no complications. There was no problems. My wife was, uh, when she first came to the church, the first uh, bout of sickness that she had, she was 24 hours from dialysis. 24 hours. And fact, she checked herself out of the hospital, pulled all the IVs and stuff out of her arm, and, and they told her they were putting her on dialysis. The next day, when the nurse left the room, she ripped everything out, and she went home, <laughs> you know, and, and her mom called her, kind of like my mom had called me, 
called her and said, hey, you know, uh, what are you doing? Where are you at? And she said, they told me they were putting me on dialysis. I'm not letting them do that. And she said, well, you got to go back to the hospital and, and all of this stuff. And, and she said, well, if you won't go to the hospital, go to church with me tonight. Well, she landed at that same little church. And when she walked through the door, the minister pointed over to her and said, uh, you don't ever have to worry about dialysis because tonight God's healing. And in God good, man. And, you know, so this was a revival atmosphere. It was an open heaven atmosphere. And there are moments when you get under an open heaven. I know uh, many of you, you know that I operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, the, the Lord lets me see things. And when I came on the property, Pastor, the gift just opened up. It's, it's awesome how it does that. And God, man, I just feel the glory talking about it. But it's awesome how God does that. And I'm sitting there, and the Lord began to remind me of the very thing Pastor was saying. It's because there's an open heaven over this house. And we've got to be at places that stir our gifting. We've got to be around people that stir our gifting. And so uh, everywhere I go, I talk about some of the awesome words that God has given me for some of you. Because uh, even though we operate in the gifts everywhere we go, and the gift is subject to the prophet, there is a simplicity to it. There is an ease that comes when you get around people that are hungry. And because I go to churches all over America, and there are some, can I be honest, I'm really excited to leave. I know I shouldn't tell that, but it's true. I really am. I'm thinking, God, if you can get me through these next couple days, and let me release what I've got to release, you know. I've got this arrangement with God. God, I go wherever you open the door. I have preached at Catholic churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches. I mean, we go wherever God opens the door. I don't change my message. Come on. I just preach what God tells me to, and sometimes they're glad when I leave. Uh, come on, it's true, you know, it's okay. But, uh, uh, but when you get around an open heaven, when you get around hungry that are p people that are hungry for Pentecost, they're hungry for a move of God. I was just at a church in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, precious pastor there, he, uh, they've gone through kind of a hard time. Uh, they went from a church of several hundred down, I don't even know what they have on Sunday morning anymore, but, but less than a hundred, but they went from several hundred down to less than a hundred. And uh, he was just talking with me they invited me to come and there was such an open heaven over the house that while I was preaching I started picking up the names of people in the service and it was just awesome because uh, I would go stand by somebody and the, the one that stuck out stuck out the most there was this uh, precious uh, precious guy on the soundboard and I didn't know anything about him and of all things his name was like Steve Smith and I go stand by him and I start talking to you know just just calling the name out and I had no idea it was his name it was just a generic thing that I was using but God just opened heaven over his life see that's what happens when you get around hungry people when you, when you come in here on a Saturday night or you come in here during the midweek service or during prayer time and there is a hunger, that hunger will make a demand on the anointing. And what will happen is it will begin to pull it out of the, the speaker. It will pull it out of your pastor or the ministry that is in the house that night. And far too often we think to ourselves, well, you know, if we had a, uh, if, if we had a, uh, a guest evangelist, uh, I would come out to service. Or if we had a, a, a notable speaker that everybody knew, I would come out and be a part of what God's doing. Friend, I want you to know I've been on both sides of it. We went to a church where... They 
they just had a nationally known speaker and they invited him in and literally spent thousands of dollars they invested and really nobody showed up. They had extra people show up but it has nothing to do with the speaker. It has to do with the hunger of the people that are listening to the speaker because Jesus said he went to Nazareth and could do not but a few miracles because of their unbelief. If we can just get together and we can begin, oh, man, I love Jesus so much. I just feel the glory tonight, but if we could just get together and we could get hungry and we could just start saying, God, I am so hungry for a move. I'm hungry for miracles. I'm hungry for signs and I'm hungry for wonders. God, whatever it is that you want to do, I want to be a part of it. I've said many times, I don't have to be the the speaker in the revival. I just want to be a part of God's move. I go to conferences all over the country that I don't speak at so that I can be fed and, and I can have a download into my spirit. And uh, a friend of mine right now, uh, a, a spiritual father, in fact, it's the gentleman that I was speaking of earlier that was on that second half of that revival. This, he, uh, he was in uh, oh, somewhere around Branson, Missouri, a couple hours away from me. And they are in their fifth week of revival. Now, I, I, haven't, I haven't been home on a Sunday. I've been home in between. I've not been home on a Sunday since July. And so um, uh, I've not really sat in just a church service that I wasn't ministering at with my family at all. And I, I really wanted to get up there and be a part of these meetings just to sit in them and just soak in them and just be a part of what's because I'm hungry for God's. When your pastor was sharing about revival, it stirred something inside of me because I'm hungry for a move of God. Whatever it is that God wants to do, if I can just be a part of it, if I can, I don't have to lead it, if I can just be a part of it, I want to I wanna stand arm in arm, hand in hand with people that are hungry for a move of God. And friend, when we come together like that, I'm, I assure you, it will happen. As you have sought God and, and as you are seeking God, I, I tell you with an assurance, you are fertile ground for God to move and God can't help but honor your prayers. I was in Waldron, Arkansas. This is several years ago. And I, I had been there, and, and I think we had been in 10 days of revival. And we started out, Pastor, with just a couple, literally, I think five or six people on an off night. And the church, was a, it was a little storefront church uh, in a tiny town. I mean, Waldron is a real tiny town. I think they have maybe 3,000 people, but it is riddled with drug and alcohol abuse. I mean, this county is, it's just, they're just really struggling. And they invited me to come in to do a tent meeting. And we came in and, and uh, uh, again, just a handful of people on an off night. And the church just had 10 or 15 people that were in attendance in the church on, on a regular service. And so, um, uh, you know, people, people get intimidated by crowds. We look around and we think to ourselves, well, can God really use us? Twelve people changed the world. Twelve men changed the world. And one of them was the devil. <laughs> the disciples changed the world, and there were just 12 of them. So can God use that? Absolutely. He can, he can anoint one man, one woman, that can absolutely change the world. And so um, uh, uh, I, I forget what night of the revival it was. The wind came in, Pastor, and blew the tent over. And so we had to move the revival into the building. And uh, after a couple nights, we had all this rain. And uh, the, the last night, we were under the tent in the rain. The tent was completely packed out. And uh, there was a river running through the tent. Literally running, running through the middle of the... Nobody left. 
In fact, people were falling out under the power of God and rolling around in the mud. Being saved, healed, and delivered by the power of God in the middle of a thunderstorm. Well, that night the wind blew our tent over. Well, that was not a victory for the enemy. That was a victory for us. And so that particular night, we, 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 we tried to put it up, and we couldn't get the tent back up, you know, and they had a whole group of guys trying to get it up. It didn't work out, so we went into the building, and, and uh, it just worked out in our favor. But it was a Wednesday night, and there wasn't, you know, once again, the Wednesday night crowd was different because everybody had gone back to their churches. But what happened was they got so fired up about a move of the Spirit that they went and told their churches what was going on on the Wednesday night. And so we, we, were, we got started at 7. They got started at 7. By 8 o'clock, they were done. By 8 o'clock, we were just getting wound up. <laughs> And they were coming from other, other churches all over the city. And they were coming just to be a part of the revival. And from there, everything just changed. So, um, so here I am. I'm up here preaching. And, and uh, the Lord has me stop. And we entered into a moment of repentance. See, repentance always uh, prefaces revival. If we're going to have a move of God, we've got to have repentance come to the house of God. Amen. And so uh, I'm standing there and I'm preaching. All of a sudden, God begins to talk to me about repentance. And so I'm just seeking God with everything in me while I'm preaching. And I just stopped and I said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but, but there's somebody here you have to recognize that, that you need to get your life right. And, and God is calling you. God's giving you opportunities, giving you occasion. And so uh, I just began to talk and we had an altar call. And I want you to know nobody in the sanctuary answered that altar call. But all of a sudden, pastor, the entire praise team, left the platform and came and laid on their faces before God. I didn't know that there was, I won't tell you the sin that was going on. I didn't know there was sin that was running rampant in the praise team, but there was. There was ungodly lifestyles. and You'd be surprised at the stuff that goes on in church, right? And so these people come up and they began to cry out to God. There was such a spirit of repentance that came into the house that night. A few days later, I was up preaching. There was a lady on my right-hand side. They carried her in to the church. She had crippling arthritis and she'd been walking on canes and, and been in a wheelchair and she told her husband and her son want you to carry me in there because I'm not going to need my wheelchair or my uh, walking apparatuses after this night. Come on somebody. And so uh, she said over here on my right side, she's in She's in incredible pain. She's weeping the whole service. So I walk over to her in the middle of the service. I said, ma'am, I said, how are you? And I said, is all well? And she said, no, brother, it's not well at all. And I asked her what her condition was, and she just started sharing with me. And, and I said, well, tonight I believe Jesus wants to heal you. I said, can you come up here? And they picked her up, and they brought her up, and they stood her in the altar. It's not that we were trying to make a spectacle of anybody. This was just a God moment. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Ghost just began to move in the house. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like this, but, Pastor, I felt I was there. If, does that make sense? I became aware of any problem, any trial, anything in my life I'd ever done. And the only way I could explain it, I felt as though I was standing in front of the Lord himself. And all of a sudden, as in that moment, I turned around and I looked at the wall and I began to cry out to God, God, if there's anything in me, uh, and I pray for a clean heart, and, and, I, and I pray for pure hands every service, and ask God to be pleased with what I say and what I do. That's very important to me. And I said, Lord, if there's any sin or anything in my life, something I'm not aware of, make me aware of it so that I can, so I can do what I'm called to do. 
and I can minister effectively to this people on this night. And it felt like there was a ball of energy that just started churning. And uh, I, I turned around and I felt a release of the power. And this lady hits the ground. She laid there for 15 minutes and she jumped up and took off running around the church. And that's... You know, and I tell you that because, if, because once again, repentance is what brought that about. People that came together and said, I'm so hungry for a move of God. I'm so hungry for God to bring revival to my life, to my family. We don't just need revival in the church. We need revival in the home. We need dads to take their place again. We've got an orphan generation. Listen, I understand. I grew up without a father. Um, in, in 2015, most of you know my testimony. Uh, we pastored for we've pastored for over 20 years. We pastored a wonderful church up in Waterloo, Iowa. Man, we went there, and, and there was um, a handful of people, and they were hurt. They'd been through a transition, and, and uh, we, we were fought from day one. But, but uh, after, I guess we were there just a couple months, we had revival breakout, and then the church had a revival culture and revival atmosphere, and God was moving in just an awesome way. People were healed and, and, and being, de- being delivered, and, and man, just God did so much in a short period of time. And it, it, I was there for 15 years as the senior pastor. And, and in 2015, I felt the Lord telling me it was time to, to transition. I'd always told my wife, I said, we would, we would go and, and we would evangelize full time eventually. I just didn't know when. You know, I didn't know when that would take place. I just, I felt that it was in our future. And I've always traveled and preached. And I was trying to think tonight how many years I've been coming here, pastor. And, and uh, I, I don't even remember, I, I think. The year that I went to Israel is when I met you. I think that was a 10 or, was it 12? I was thinking, uh, I was thinking 10 or 11, so, so 12 was probably right. I think that was the first time I came, but I met you the year I got back from Israel. I think that was right, but, but I was thinking about that and, and thinking about all the relationships that I've made through the years in, in that office. But I'll be honest, I wasn't out preaching every month or every weekend, and, and uh, uh, I, was, I was pastoring, you know, and so the Lord speaks to me and he tells me that he wants me to uh, uh, go on the road full time. And, and so I start making this transition. Now, the, the hardest part of the story is I have my oldest son and he's just married. He got married in 2013. They've just been married a couple years. I've got my very first grandbaby on the way. Right, I'm, I'm telling you, it's just, it changed my world. You said that and three times tonight I've seen you holding a baby. Now, I'm not your baby, I don't think. <laughs> You know, but the three times I've seen that. And, uh, and the Lord told me, I wasn't going to get into this, but I saw you rejoice, and I know why you're rejoicing, but, but I saw you rejoice, and I've seen it three times. And then, then the Lord said that this was a season of birthing. He said, even as the church is a season of birthing, but I, I, three times I saw you holding a baby, three times. You know, so, you, so uh, River, you're giving birth. You're giving birth. So, so, the, so here I am, I've, I've got my... Uh, I've got my son, I've got my daughter-in-law, and being a father is very important to me. Very important, because I didn't have one. You know, I, of course I had a dad, you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't there for me. My, my dad left, I was born in uh, December of uh, 73. In October of 74, my dad uh, and my mom were, were completely divorced. Um, there was never a father figure in my home, never. There was never an uncle, there was never, my brother's eight years older than me. And today he's, you know, he's him and my wife, you know, they're, they're two, two of my best friends. But, uh, but, you know, he was too young to be a dad, but he helped out the best he could. And so, um, 
even though my relationship with my dad wasn't really good, you know, I, um, I really tried to have a relationship. That's just a different story for a different, another time. But, but being a dad is very important to me. So here I am. I'm looking at my son, and I told my son, I said, no, son, I said, I'm not leaving you. And he just started this new job at, uh, at GoDaddy. And I'm just a great job. And, and uh, I mean, uh, in our area, he was driving about 40 minutes to, to this job. And in our area, you couldn't match the pay. And then where we moved to, there was nobody that could match what he was making there. And said, son, I'm not leaving you. I said, we want you to come with us. And everybody else was going. And he said, no, dad, I understand. He says, well, we want to come and believe eventually someday God will work it out to where we can. But... I just, uh, you know, I just can't come right now. And I said, I, I understand. So, so at this point, I know I'm going to miss the birth of my granddaughter. I, I, I know that's already because we're two weeks away from my, my grandbaby being born. When we loaded up the U-Haul and we relocated. And so here I am. And you know, um, in Mark 10, it tells us whatever we give up for the gospel, whatever it is, in this lifetime, in fact, the word now, now in this lifetime, God will give us back hundredfold. You know, I, I think, Pastor, I think of you guys, I think uh, how much you've given up. You know, people never know. Not, not that we want people to know, but, but this was such a tangible thing. And I would go before the Lord, and then the enemy started using it all against me. He started telling me that I was a bad parent. And, and the mind battles, I went in, and, and just there was just one point where I just, you know, I just broke. You know, and... Um, I remember when, the, when my grandbaby was born, they called me, and, and uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to break away or not, I, but I was able to leave, and I wasn't there when she was born, but, but shortly thereafter, I was, and, you know, but, but her first year, I missed, you know, and once again, my kids didn't have grandparents. I didn't grow up with grandparents. You know, we, we, had, a, we had a broken home, and then my mother was, was sickly, and her parents had some issues, and we just... So I was determined, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good pop-pops. <laughs> you know, that means so much to me. But once again, whatever we give up. And so um, I remember where I was when my son called me. I was in revival up in Bentonville, Arkansas. He calls me and he says, uh, he says, Daddy, he says, I've got some news. And he says, I want you to, he says, uh, he says, you're coming up here this week. It was the end of July. And uh, he says, you're coming up here this week. He says, I've got some news, and I just want to talk to you for a minute. And uh, I, I thought, you know, I knew, he was, I knew he wasn't liking the job and a lot of things going on. He'd been through a lot up to this point, and I knew he needed me. Does that make sense? you got to have the right people in your life, and this boy needed his dad. That's just all it was. And so uh, I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I'll never forget when he called me and said, Dad, he says, we're moving to, we're moving to Arkansas. It was, a, it was one of the happiest days of my life. But he left this job that just, uh, just a great job. But once again, what's the word say? Whatever you give up in this lifetime. So uh, about a month ago, he started a new job. And uh, he kind of struggled in the area. He'd been working the whole time. He just, not, not very good jobs, you know. He just started a job. And he is now making twice what he made it go down. Twice. Oh, so I wish somebody would give God a praise tonight. Amen. I said all that to say, I said all that to say is, man, when, when you have an open heaven over you, when you've got a revival culture in your life, and I believe God answers prayer. 
I have a list of stuff that I pray over every day. And as I, as I check those things off, I'm, I'm thankful that, that God's doing those things. And, and I've learned he, he takes care of you no matter what. No matter what's taking place, no matter where you are. We go to places that, that, uh, that are hard, difficult places. Here, here last year um, in November, we, were, we went to a mission church. And last June... I was just really seeking, and God gave me some supernatural instructions. I'm not going to go into everything he said, but the Lord came to me in a dream, and he gave me some supernatural instructions, and he said, before every service, get alone and seek my face. Just get alone. Get by yourself on the property and seek, your, seek my face. And so a lot of times it'll be my car or a Sunday school room or, I mean, it has been a bathroom because that's all there was. And to the very best of my ability, I have always honored what God told me to do. And the Lord told me if I would do that because I sought his face, he would always take care of me no matter what. So here we are, we're at a mission church. And now I live by faith, this is all I do. So 45 to 50 weeks a year, I'm out preaching the gospel wherever God opens up doors. And y'all know what a mission church is, right? It is, uh, it, the, the, the church is an old firehouse. Uh, the sanctuary is probably three quarters this size. Uh, two rows of chairs with like two chairs up each side. And you know, so it's just a real tiny little place for street people to come. So we're ministering to street people, okay? But we're there in faith and we're believing God to do miracles. And, 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 and we did. The last service, there was this little lady in the back. And you just never know who God's going to bring across your path. And I'm talking about supernatural provision. And this precious lady came and she was sitting in the back. And uh, she got a miracle that day. She got, a, got a, just a, a major healing. I, I don't know what all happened. I know what she told me. She said that she received an awesome healing. But in a mission church, pastor, at the end of the service, this precious little lady brought us $1,000 at a mission church. I, you know, only God can do that kind of thing. I said that to build your faith tonight because what are you believing for? What do you believe in God for right now? As a church, you're believing God for revival. Maybe you're believing God for a job. If my son can get a job and make twice what, what he was making at a, a part of the country that a lot more profitable than where he is right now, cost of living where we are is just unbelievably low compared to where we came from. And, and for him to do that, if God can do that for him, he can do that for you. Maybe you need healing in your life. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your life. Uh, what you've got to do is you've got to see yourself walking in your miracle the greatest adversary to your vision is your vision it's what you see in front of you right now uh we uh we during my off time when i'm home i try to make videos and and try to put you know I, we, we have a product table that that we're constantly changing and trying to put fresh information on and uh, new books and new ideas and new thoughts and and so i went through and i was at home and greatest adversary to your vision is your vision right it's what you see in front of you right now is contrary to what God has said over your life, right? And so here I am, I'm, I'm sitting here, and I go through and I do all these hours of production. All these hours, we get everything done, and, and uh, something was wrong with our equipment that we didn't know. And we had to trash hours and hours and hours worth of work. The greatest adversary to our vision is our vision. And so now we have all the audio. The audio came out good, but all of the video, we just had to scrap it because of the equipment we were using. And, and uh, we really thought we had this fixed. It wasn't fixed. And I say that to tell you because that's when the enemy comes in and says this isn't going to work out. Uh, uh, you, you messed up. You've, but that's just, once again, where the greatest adversary to your vision is what you see happening right now. And even though right now in your life maybe you're seeking God for a, a 
better job or you're seeking God for a healing or a breakthrough in your ministry or, or, or family to, to come to know Jesus. Whatever it is, it might look like all hell has broke loose in those areas, but that's just what you see. That's not what God has promised. And we've got to focus on what God has promised over our lives. We've got to focus on what God has said, not what we are seeing. And uh, we have blind Bartimaeus. I, I have a friend who has a church uh, up in Des Moines, and I haven't, I haven't seen him in years. Uh, at a different season of my life, we, we were really close, and, and uh, uh, but we kind of went different paths. You know, not there was anything wrong, we just went different paths. And his church's name is Eagle Vision. That's the name of his church. And he had this little, uh, uh, they had a television program there locally. And this little guy calls his television uh, program one day and, and says, Pastor Dave, we need a, uh, I can't see. And I need some help purchasing a Braille Bible. Can you do that? And I guess Braille Bibles are extremely expensive. And he said, I think it's interesting that somebody called a church called Vision who could not see. And so they went through and they were helping, helped him get what he needed. See, it, what's in front of you right now does not look like where God's calling you to be. And see, that's where, that's where the spirit of blindness has come up on the church. And if the enemy can keep the church blind, if the enemy can keep us from seeing what God wants us to see, the enemy will never let you see more are they that are with you than those that are against you. Never let you see that. The enemy will never let you see. He'll never let you walk in the promise that is just down the road. You've got to believe for it no matter what. I remember when we fast pastored our first church, we went into a small area that was very churched. And we had a building, and we were holding buildings. And, and uh, we would have a handful of people on Sunday morning, but on Sunday night, and this was back in the 90s, and uh, during, on Sunday night, there would be nobody show up. It would be me, my wife, and my two little babies. And, and uh, what I would do is I would get up, I would preach, I would share the gospel, we would have an altar call, my wife would sing, we would, uh, we would uh, pray, and we would go home. And we did that until God started sending the people. See, you, do, you cannot be discouraged by what's in front of you right now. Don't, don't see what's in front of you right now. See what God has told you. You ought to start walking in your promise. Uh, most of you know when we left Iowa, there was were, there were so much that we left behind. And one of those things was a home. We're believing for a home. You know, I'm believing in this next year to be completely debt-free. And I, I don't have a lot of debt or anything like that. Uh, you know, I don't have uh, tens of thousands of dollars in debt. You know, we have a small amount of debt, and, and we, but we don't own our own home yet. Uh, when we made that transition, we left a, it's just a long story, but we left behind a home for the pastors that came in uh, so that they would have a place to live. Because when we came there, we lived in the basement. And we didn't want them to have to go through what we had gone through. And so, uh, so this is something we're believing for, and I, and I believe God's going to work that out supernaturally. Uh, and there, there, there's so many, so many things behind that and so many things that, and it seemed like when we'd get a foot up, the, the enemy would come in and a door would be shut, and then another door would get open, and then another door would get shut. But see, I'm not, I'm not concerned about any of that. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to hear the voice of God. And God didn't say you had to go out and get it. He said you've got to believe for it. 
And I just began to believe for not what I was seeing. I began to believe for the things God told me he was going to do in my life. And, and when nobody was getting healed, I was praying for people anyway. And deaf ears weren't being open. I was praying for people anyway. They, uh, back in, uh, I guess it had to have been March, we were, we were over in Paris, Texas. And the very first night of the meeting, this, uh, uh, little, this little man came in and God gave me a word of knowledge about a deaf ear. And he said, I'm going to heal somebody that's deaf tonight. And at the end of the service, I just released that. And so I said, there's, there's somebody here. You've got a deaf ear. God wants to heal you, heal you tonight. Come on up. I want to pray for you. And this uh, elderly gentleman from the back, he comes up. And he stands in front of me, and he's got a hearing aid in both ears. He cannot hear at all out of one ear, and the other ear he can't hardly hear out of. So he's almost completely deaf. And so he's standing here, and... The power of God falls on him, and just to make a long story short, God completely healed him that night. Opened up both ears. So the next night, now people got really fired up about, about, the, about revival and excited about what God was doing. They went down to Walmart and were passing out flyers and got kicked out of Walmart. And they came to me, they apologized. They said, Brother Betty, we're really sorry. We got kicked out of Walmart. I hope that don't make you look bad. And I said, listen, if you ain't been kicked out of Walmart for preaching the gospel, you just hadn't lived because we have more than once. <laughs> so fired up, and, and this, this gentleman comes back the next night, and he says, I, he says, I done told my doctor that I'm not coming in, I'm not having that surgery, I don't need it. My, ear, my ears are completely healed. He's got his, ear, his hearing aids out, they're completely gone. He's hearing 100% in both ears. And I said, sir, don't, don't, don't do that. Go to your doctor. And you tell your doctor what happened to your ears and be a witness and a testimony to the doctor. Friend, Jesus wants to touch, save, heal, and deliver. But I can remember where I, I it felt like multitudes were staying away when I preached. <laughs> It felt like there was more people that didn't want to hear me preach. I would be up preaching, and people would stick their fingers in their ears while I was preaching. Not because it was loud. They didn't like me. <laughs> I've had people get up and walk out, and I've had, uh, you know, I just, this is going to be honest for a minute. I've had them stand up and cuss me and then walk out. And, you know, <laughs> that's right. Uh, what else can you say? And somebody says, did you get discouraged? Well, I didn't really like that that happened, you know. I'm not looking for that opportunity, right? But what it did was it fired me up. And what it made me think, because this is what we think. When the enemy is fighting us, we think we did something wrong. I must have sinned. I must have fell short. And I'm not saying you can't allow the enemy into your life, okay? But we got to quit letting the enemy play tricks on us. we got to be a people that rise up and say, it's not what I see right now. It's what God has put inside of me. And maybe it's the enemy's fighting you that hard because the destiny that God has placed inside of you. Spirit of blindness is on the church. Church has uh, church hadn't been able to see, not been able to see clearly. And we're, and we're building churches. Uh, a friend of mine was just in Africa, and, the, and the, they went by a church that is a mile long. It's a mile a building that's a mile long. One church. But we're building big churches, but they're not an inch deep. There's no depth. There's no power. I'm I'm preparing a message, and I'm. I'm preparing a message entitled we've learned to do it without God because we have we can have church without God now we don't we do okay just this is hear me out we can we can have praise and worship without God our talent will carry us we can preach without God we can build big churches and ministries without God 
And people say, no, no, we've got to have God. You're right, we do. But there are people doing that. And I'm not trying to be critical of the church, but I'm prophetic by nature. And what we have to recognize is the church has been doing things without God for a long time. When you start hearing statistics like pastors, preachers, they don't pray every day. They don't read their Bible. These are statistics. These are, these are facts. These aren't just, just fairy tales and fables that we've tossed out there to make people pray and read their Bible. It's, it's the truth. We've got a generation that has learned to get along without God. This generation is no different. But when that happens, it makes us prime candidates for revival. It makes us, this is, this is when God starts moving. This is when, and I don't know how it is for you, but have you ever woke up after a storm? And you saw the, the table outside was turned over and the chairs were flipped over and the shingles were off the roof. And you think to yourself, I slept through the storm. I don't want to be the one who sleeps through the storm. When God comes through and he brings a move of God like we know is coming, I don't want to have slept through it. I don't want to have missed what God did. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the healing. I want to be a part of the miracles. I want to be a part of the signs and the wonders. When, when God shows up, I don't want to have been asleep. I want to be right in the middle of it. I want to be just a part of what God does when he does it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hungrier now than I am ever. I mean, I can remember when I first got saved, I never missed church. Every time the doors were open, I still don't miss church. No. I'm, I'm in church all the time. But uh, there was such a passion. I'm, I'm still that hungry. I, lo- I, 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 went into a, I went into a time of prayer. I, I was praying. I, I was working a secular job. And I would come home and I would pray from the time I got home until I fell asleep in my bed. I didn't know it then. I was giving birth to some things. I'm hungry. I'm hungry to see signs and wonders in the church. Not so I can say I have a ministry or pastor has a ministry or you have a ministry of signs and wonders. I want it because that's a dinner bell for the lost. And signs and wonders. People ask me all the time, how are we going to reach the Muslims? How are we going to reach the Buddhists? How are we going to reach all? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to have sick children, sick wives, sick husbands. And they're going to bring them to us and we're going to lay hands on them. And we're going to see them healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then these people are going to get saved and they're going to follow Jesus all the days of their life. Friend, I want you to know it's, it, that we've got to see it. What do you see? What do you see? What are you seeing about your life right now? When you envision your life, when you envision what God's doing in your life, what are you seeing right now? Do you see your present condition? I've never lived where I was. In fact, I've always wrestled where I was because I'm always believing God for or something. I've had to learn to be happy. Paul said, I know where it is, what it is to abase and abound, but in all things I've learned to be content. Uh, I've, got, I've got big vision. I've got big things that I want to do for the Lord. So I, I've had to learn to be content where I am and live in the moment. But what do you believe in God for right now? What do you believe in God to do? And, and I know this, this is a different group of people, but, and, and, and I, know, uh, I know maybe this doesn't hit home right here in Garland, Texas. Maybe it's those Dallas folks the Arkansas folks, but most folks don't ever believe for anything until they have a need. When they need, when they need healing, they believe for it. When they need financial breakthrough, they believe for it. When they need peace in their mind, they believe for it. But we have to have a culture of believing God. And, and right now, I know you're believing for revival. You're believing for souls. You can hear it in the heart of the church. You're believing for God to do a work through this house. You gotta see it. You gotta see it. Don't 
don't let that spirit of blindness that has kept the church subdued for so long see yourself winning the lost at such an unbelievable rate see yourself laying hands on people on the streets of the city and seeing them healed I a few years ago it was July the 4th I don't remember the year July, I remember July the 4th because I thought it was a weird time for God to tell me to do this. I was in my prayer closet. I was just in my office. I was on the ground. I was praying. And God spoke to me and said, I want you to get up and go over here to this building. And there was a building not far from us. It was an old U-Haul building. And there was a, a meeting hall that was over there. And there was a little church that met there. And the Lord said, I want you to get up and go over there and wait. I've got an assignment for you. And I, I thought that was weird. It's July the 4th, it's a hot day, and God, why are you telling me to do this? So I kind of molded over for a minute, and then, you know, I, I know that voice, so I got up, and I went, and I s sat there in this driveway of this little U-Haul place, and I'm waiting on God to give me some kind of instruction. And I'm just sitting there, and there's nothing going on, there's nothing happening, and all of a sudden, uh, I, I just kind of, I said, God, all right, I, I said, I've been here 20 minutes. I said, can you uh, either hurry this along? Or let me know what's going on. I, maybe I don't talk to God like that, you know, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or dishonor him. I'm just talking to him like my friend, you know. And so I said, Lord, I said, and, he, and I don't know if I was early or my assignment was late. I don't know. But definitely one of the two. And the Lord said, can you just give him five more minutes? And I thought, oh, okay, God. You know, that, that's some instruction. At least, I got, at least I'm hearing something now. And so uh, there, there I sit, five more minutes, and then this old pickup truck comes uh, comes onto the parking lot and uh, this old guy gets out of it I, he had to be in his I don't know, 80s or 90s I mean this guy you know he gets rolling out of this pickup truck and goes walking in the building and I yelled hey sir you know and I just wanted to pray for him you know I just I didn't know what God wanted to do I just knew I needed to pray for this man sir he doesn't doesn't say it so I I, I hustle over to him I touch him on the shoulder and said sir he says oh I'm sorry I, I can't hear was my assignment far too often what are you believing for what are you believing for there might be somebody sitting under a tree right now that's waiting on you there might be somebody right now that that's in the hospital waiting on you 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 probably heard me share this before but i'm gonna share this before i kind of change change my direction for a minute but but i've been invited to come up to the hospital there was a young man at the church who was there this is just a couple years ago there in fort smith our local church and they, they, his name was Adam, and they, they said, we want you to go see Adam at the hospital. He's asked for you to come. And I said, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to go see him. So me and my wife, we got in the car, and we drove up there in the afternoon. And we get up there, and when we walk in the building, there's these big hospital doors, you know, and outside the door is a man in a little, little uh, uh, hospital gown, you know. And he's, he's hooked up to machines, and he's smoking a cigarette. So here he is now. This guy, he's probably my size, you know, a little bit shorter than me, but he's about my size. And I want to ask you this, what all the breakthroughs we have in medicine, I mean, they've got cures for everything, you know, but they can't make a hospital gown fit. Because we got this guy, my size, in a, in a hospital gown that looks like it fits a three-year-old, you know. And he's standing there, and I, just, just to be, this is how it was. He's got his gown, he's like this. And he's smoking a cigarette with his hand, and he's hooked up these machines. And so I come in, and as I'm walking up, this old boy makes eye contact with me. He eyeballs me, you know. He stares, staring me down. And so, you know, I, I've been here before. This ain't my first rodeo. He could be thinking he knows me, or he could be full of the devil. You know, I've, I've seen both, you know. And so 
I'm not sure what to think. And so uh, you're laughing, but I've been there, you know. And so I looked at my wife, and I, and I don't know, he might be a master lip reader or something, you know. So I, I'm like, hey, babe. <laughs> Is he looking at me? She goes, um, yeah. <laughs> and so we're walking up, you know, and his eyes are so comfortable, you know. And I'm thinking maybe he thinks he recognizes me, you know. Back in Iowa, we were on television. And, but, uh, but there in Arkansas, you know, they, they wouldn't know me that way. I thought, well, maybe he's been in service with me. And he's watching me all the way up. And so I, I go through the doors and I look at him. I gave him a big nod. He nodded back. I walked through the doors. I was like, safe. <laughs> you know, we're good now, you know. So I'm walking down the hall. I'm, I'm telling you, we're just minding our own business. And I start hearing clank, 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 clank. I turn around and he's following us, following us in the, into, the, into the hospital. And so I, I tell my wife, I say, is he following us? And she says, yes. I'm like, well, we're facing the front now. You know, you don't need to do this. You need to cover your playbook anymore. You know? So we're walking in and we're, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, I said, you know, and I don't hear anything. I know some of you are real spiritual. You've already got it down. I didn't, you know. I'm like, God, I don't know what you want me to do here. And so I just did the natural thing. I sped up. So I just walked a little faster. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear clank, 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 clank. He sped up too. You know, when I get to the elevator and I'm thinking to myself, if I can just get to the third floor, I'm going to be all right. So I'm, I'm standing there in the elevator, you know, and Doors open up and there's my friend. <laughs> and he, he walks into the elevator. Now y'all know you know the proper etiquette for an elevator, right? You walk in, you either tell the person, you know, your floor, or you push it and you turn around. Now, remember the whole gown thing? So I was really glad he didn't turn around, but he comes in, makes eye contact with me, looks right at me. You know what he says? points his finger at me and he says, I called for a preacher and he didn't come. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. And then he looked at me and he said, only God can give a man in your heart. Now the Holy Ghost starts talking to me. I'm like, Lord, you know, I could have had this a few minutes ago. <laughs> he says, only God can give a man a new heart. And I said, what's your name? And he said, James. I said, James? I said, I said what floor are you on? He's on the third floor. And I said, uh, so we're going to the third floor. And I said, man, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. I said, I've got to visit my friend. I'm supposed to be there at, at, at a certain time. I said, but as soon as I'm done, I'll come around and I'll see you. And he looks at me and he said, if I could just get to an altar. So I go up there and I go to Adam's room and, and Adam's gone. I don't even know where Adam is. They didn't tell me he left. He didn't let me know. I got the call an hour or so before, so really didn't have time for everything to change. So I don't know how that all worked out. And so I just went around the corner and, and I find James sitting there on the side of his bed and he's crying. And I walked in and I said, I said, James, what's going on? And he looked at me and he pointed at me again. I'll never forget the passion. He looked at me and he said, only God can give a man a new heart. He said, and then he said, if I could just get to the altar, 
And so then now the Holy Ghost is really speaking to me, and I get what's going on. I said, let me get this right, sir. I said, what's happened is you're supposed to have surgery. Yes, sir. I said, it has to do with your heart. Yes, sir. And I said, you don't feel like your heart's right with the Lord, do you? And he says, no, sir. And then he just, I mean, his water works. He begins to weep. And I said, James, we can make that right right now. And he said, but I need to get to an altar. And I said, we can make an altar right here. And all of a sudden, here I am on my assignment thinking I'm going over here, but I wind up over here. I lead this precious man to Jesus. He gives his heart to the Lord. I pray with him. I exchange some information with him. And then we not only, and I tell him, I said, James, God can heal your heart. And he said, well, only God can give a man a new heart. And I said, yes, sir. I said, God can give you a new heart. And he said, well, I have a new heart now, right? Because I accepted the Lord. And I said, yes, but he can give you a real new heart. And what happened was, he starts telling me his testimony. He said he was supposed to go in for heart surgery that day. And I don't know, not like a heart transplant, but, but some kind of heart surgery. And he was scared. And he called for another minister to come, and they never showed up. And he told him he wouldn't have that surgery until a preacher came, in the, came and prayed with him. And then I showed up. What are you believing for? What are you believing for? Your anointing will open doors of opportunity for you. The Bible says that your gift will make room for you. I think that's got a double meaning. I, I believe that that means that your gift, your talent, your ability that God has placed inside of you, it will open up the opportunity for you to use that gift. And so the next day I get a call from James. And I said, hey man, what's going on? He said, brother Benny, he said, guess where I am? I said, where are you at? And he says, I'm on the bus. <laughs> I said, why are you on the bus? I thought you were having surgery. He said, they ran some more tests on me. Come to find out I didn't need surgery after all. Come on, somebody. Man, you know, and I, and I don't say that to build myself up at all because I'm just a vessel. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, I feel, like, I feel like sometimes I'm the most unlikely person for God to use, but I am available. And I, my prayer is, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, God, send me there. Take me there. God, just let me be, uh, let me have the opportunity to share. And what I've learned is, is if we can just have the opportunity, if we can just be willing to be at the right place at the right time, God, lead me there. Man, you will have supernatural encounters that will change your life. Who wants supernatural encounters? Listen, I minister to people. I, am, I, I believe in evangelism. We win people on the streets for Jesus. I, I know y'all do that. That is in my, in my DNA. Man, I love that. But it's so much more effective when God has gone before you and prepared the hearts of people and when God has a destiny, has a moment for you to slip into and I, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I've heard it said so many times, those things don't happen every day. Why not? Why can't they happen every day? Why can't you wake up tomorrow with an assignment for heaven and God, God use you to minister to somebody tomorrow that he destined? And the effectiveness that you have under that open heaven changes everything. I had gone to, uh, y'all have famous Dave's here? Famous Dave's Barbecue. Famous Dave's uh, the place we have them in there in the middle, y'all have them. I know we have them in the Midwest, but but I was at Famous Dave's Barbecue. We had a guest that had come into our church, and, and I walked through the doors of this place, and there's this lady standing there. And um, the Lord spoke to me about her, and he's and he just started just kind of talking to me about her. And uh, her name was Gail. And so we, she seated us and and she was asking us, you know, about our last visit. You know how that goes. And so here we are. I, I, I walk up to the we get down and we sit down in our seat, and I told my friend, I said, I I've got to pray with Gail. 
I said, I can't leave here today until I forgive. And uh, he said, do you know her? I said, no, I've never seen her before. I'm, and uh, but I've got to pray with this lady. And I said, now, this is me, okay? When people are working or something, I really, I try not to bother them. Uh, and I want to share the gospel with them, and I want to be a light in the darkness. But when people are working, I don't want to get them in trouble. Or that's just, that's just me. And so, so here she is. The Lord's telling me to, to do this. I said, all right, look, God, I'll do this, but you've got to give me the opportunity. I can't eat. I'm sitting here, my, I order my food, I can't eat my food, I have to, you know, I, I just weather through the meal, I'm thinking about this the whole time, I don't know what God wants me to tell her, I don't know anything, I just, I just know i got to minister to Gail. And so I make this deal with God, you ever do that? <laughs> I said, alright God, I, I said, I'll make this deal with you. If I can get out there in that foyer and there's nobody there, I'll minister to Gail, how's that? So I felt a pretty solid piece about that. So we get up and we go to leave our, our, the table and I go into the foyer and guess what? People everywhere. But the problem was, I couldn't get Gail out of my spirit. So I told my friend, I said, if you don't mind just waiting for me outside, because i got to pray with Gail. And, and she's busy. She's seating people. Within five minutes, completely empty room. Five minutes. I'm just, all I had to do was wait five minutes. Can you imagine being five minutes from a miracle? And so I'm standing there, and, and she comes up. And I said, Gail, I said, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord wants me to share with you today, but I just, just want you to know that he loves you. And she started crying. And I, now the door's opened up. And I said, do you go to church anywhere? And that just seemed like the right thing to say. And she said, I just moved here from Des Moines. And I'm looking for a church. And I just began to share the love of Jesus with her and began to minister to her. And, and uh, invited, this was Saturday, I invited her to church Sunday morning. She showed up at church. Gave her life, rededicated her life, gave her life back to Jesus. Her family came. Um, her, her granddaughter became a part of the church and uh, made us the godparents of her, grand, of her, of her grandbaby. And, and, and her daughter done that for us. Just one encounter. Available. God's looking for people that are available. Now I could, I could tell you, we could talk about stories like that all day. I'm sure you could share them. What do you believe in for? What do you believe in for? What do you believe in God to do? Or has the enemy come in and has it blinded us to the opportunity to see the miraculous? Everywhere I go, uh, we're, we're believing for the miraculous. Every, every week we believe in our personal ministry, we believe for a miracle. Every week and we watch God do it over and over and over and over again. And you know what I've learned? And, and this might sound hard, I don't want it to, but, but I've learned when you've got nothing and the ministry's not going anywhere, people get excited and they celebrate you and they bless your heart and they pat you on the back. But when God begins to use you and things begin to happen, it seems like that's when people turn their back on you. And then that's when all hell seems to come against you. You know why? Because now you are making an impact. And it's when you start making an impact that the enemy tries to shut you down. But I want you to know that's when you can't let what you see in front of you. Doesn't matter how many people have walked out on you. It doesn't matter how many people have talked bad about you. It doesn't matter what the world has said or done. That's when you rise up and you say, I know with an assurance what God has called me to do. I know what he has showed me and I'm going to pursue what God wants me to do no matter what. I began to, I was looking around and and I was thinking, uh, thinking about your, your pastor's heart for, for, uh, and, and the heart of this church for, for the Jewish culture and the feasts. And, 
And uh, what, Pastor, 20 years ago, you didn't hear anything about that, right? Why do you think that is? I've mulled that many times. It's because it's the season that we're in in eternity. I believe as we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord, there's things that need to have some light shed on it for us to, I guess, have that knowledge to do our part so that we'll, we'll be aware. I'm sure your pastor can explain that in perfect, you know, perfectly. That once again, there are those that will frown on those things. But you have to do what God's called you to do, what God's told you to do. I have a friend, everywhere he goes, deliverance takes place. And he told me, he says, you know, there are churches that have quit inviting me in because people, because of deliverance. And I said, man, I said, you can't worry about that. You have to do what God's called you to do. And he said, this is what he told me. He said, so Brother Benedict says, I don't want to be known as the deliverance guy. I said, don't be known as the deliverance guy. Be known as the guy that's following Jesus. You know, don't let what you see stop you. Don't let what you see right now. When we, when we went into full-time ministry, when God called us full-time ministry back when, man, I, 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 I was pastor in my first church at 20 years old. And so we had quit our jobs just in faith, and man, it was, it was a struggle. You know, and I, I don't know, I don't know your revelation on those kinds of things, but, but I know that's what God told me to do. And it was hard, but I wasn't focused on what I see. I was focused on what God has told me to do. Bartimaeus shouted, Jesus, Jesus, I need you to touch me. I need you to give me a miracle. I need a miracle. It reminded me of that precious young man that I met, James, there at the hospital, when he cried out, I called for a preacher and one wouldn't come. Bartimaeus cried out, he shouted. And everybody tried to stifle him. Everybody tried to shut him down. But he cried out all the more. And when they tried to shut him down, he cried out louder. Because somewhere inside of him, he realized, if I could get close enough to the Lord, I can see again. Friend, I want you to know if you can get close enough to the Lord, there will be nothing that will catch you off guard. God will come in before you. The Bible says he'll make your crooked way straight. Every mountain, a molehill, every molehill, a mountain. He will, give, he will give you revelation of things that are ahead of you. Jesus, can you help me? Lord, I need to see. Jesus, will you open my eyes? Jesus, I don't know if he believed for anything else. I, we know he was poor. He was a beggar, right? I don't know if he needed a house. I don't know if he needed a car. I don't know if his Facebook was shut down. I don't know if he had a phone. I don't know any of that stuff. But what I do know is he cried out to God, Jesus, I need you. He had one thing on his mind. I need you to make me see. Come over here and spit in this mud and rub it on my eyes. Tell me to go wash in the river. What do I need to do? Let me go show myself to the high priest. What do I need to do to get my miracle? Jesus! And the Bible said that he cried and they came to him and said, Be quiet. You need to hush. Don't say anything. Just leave the master alone. And you know now people are... They're taking all their attention off of Jesus and got it on Barnabas, and that can't be right. One of the things I've learned about revival and the moving of the Spirit of God, there'll they'll sometimes be some impurities in that beginning. It's kind of like, I have a friend of mine, they have a, they have a revival church in West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, awesome men of God, man. I mean, uh, they had a visitation of God. I, I, I don't have time to go into the whole story. Um, but they have had a culture of revival for years now. He explained it to me this way. He said, I said, Brother Benny, when, 
when uh, revival hits, there'll be some impurities that come to the top. Says, but as the oil flows, it'll get purer and purer as it goes. And so there were those that said, there they are, taking their eyes off of Jesus. Because somebody shouted. We've got to have little rooms off to the side for people to shout. And uh, somebody's, somebody's over there getting healed. And, oh, we don't want men to get any glory or anything like that. Listen, I'll tell you what, you gotta, we have the right heart. We don't want any glory. I don't want any glory. I don't, I don't need any glory. I don't need notoriety. I'm not interested. I don't want my face on Time Magazine. I don't want to do a news story about me. I'm not interested in any of that. I just want to reach as many people as I can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I realize two things with that. I know I have to be available and it takes resources. I, I recognize all that. But I want to reach as many people as I can with the tools I have in my hands. I love what your pastors do. It doesn't matter if you're, you're, uh, you're at home or at your computer. Or, uh, he's reaching as many people as possible. And you've got, to, you've got to be inspired by that. Bartimaeus, be quiet. No, I need a miracle. I won't leave until I give my miracle. And then the Bible says that Jesus said, bring him to me. And one of, the, one of the same people that told him to be quiet then comes to him. And says, Bartimaeus, he's called for you. And he gets up, and when he does, he throws his little cloth aside. This was his permission to beg. His livelihood was wrapped up in the little thing that he wore, in his little garment. And when he cast that aside, what he was saying was, I no longer need this. In the revival I talked to you about earlier when, when uh, my wife and I met and everything that had gone on, I had a cousin who had never worked a day in his life. He'd been on disability and social security since he was a kid. In that revival, he came in and God touched him and healed him. He went down to the social security administration and said, I don't want that stuff. I'm going out and getting me a job. And he did. He had never worked a day in his life. He was in his mid-20s and God healed him. He went out and got a job and for the first time in his life was able to work. He threw his, he threw his beggar's garment aside. I want you to know God wants to open the eyes of the church. God wants to open our eyes just like he did Bartimaeus. But we got to realize... That there's not a man, there's not a woman, there's not anybody. We're, 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 we're dependent on so many things. Listen, I want you to know that I'm not dependent upon our president. I'm dependent upon God. I love my wife and, and I, I need my wife in my life, but I'm not dependent upon her. I'm dependent upon my Lord. I'm thankful for her. I need my family and my life. Understand my heart, but I'm not dependent upon them. I'm dependent upon the Lord. And I want you to know when God begins to do a work inside of you that you see him doing, what do you see? When you close your eyes, when you envision, have you, have you limited God to the size of this building? Have you limited God to just the people that's on the praise team today? Have you limited God to just the people that are watching on live streaming or, or listening in this room right now? Have you, or, or have you said, God, show me what you want? What I love about your pastor, I heard him say this the last time I was here. He says, we'll never give up anointing for numbers. I'm paraphrasing what he said. And that's what we need, and that's the heart that God will honor. What do you see? What do you see? I want to close with this. My, my friend who is in, I, I, exactly in their 20th week of revival, I forget how many, how many exact the weeks are. Last time we talked, it was like 22 or 23, but something like that. Back in the 
the 90s, they had a move of God at their church, and they had been up every morning once again praying early in the morning. She said that sometimes they would have two people, and sometimes they would have 85 people at 5, 5, 5.30 in the morning praying for a move of God. And he, she said that after a year, maybe two years of praying, said that move of God started stirring in the church, and, and revival came. This isn't a big church. It's not a mega church. They might seat 100 people, and that's chairs everywhere. Not a big building. You know, maybe, maybe, you, could cram a, maybe you could cram a couple hundred people in there. Maybe. But uh, they certainly don't have it set up like that now, and they didn't then. But a move of God came to this church. And they had a guest evangelist that came in, and people were getting saved, and there were things taking place. And the pastor told me, he said, Brother Benny, I was seeking God, and I said, I, I need God. I need you to tell me that we're right and that you want a move of God to take place in this season. Because they were at a place in the meeting, after two weeks, they had to make a decision. Do we move forward, or is this what we're supposed to do? And, and God, this is, this is for this season, that's it. And she said they sought God all day long, and then they went to service that night. And at the end of the service, they went and they, were, they had the prayer lines. And they were praying for the sick and those that needed a touch of God. And my friend went by this little lady, and she had a little boy that was standing next to her. And the boy is completely blind. Couldn't see anything. And my friend, now, now she's about this tall. <laughs> and she's powerful, man. I mean, she's just awesome. Oh my God, she's about this tall. And she leaned down and looked over that little, little guy and started praying. I mean, she's a prayer now. I mean, she's going to pray. You feel like you've been in the throne room of God when this woman prays. And she's praised over this little baby. And, you know, and she felt... She prayed all she needed to pray and did all she knew to do and just believe in God for healing and went on to the mall. And she's praying over the mall. And all of a sudden, this little guy leans up to his mom and tugs on her shirt. says, Mama, Mama. And she kind of ignored it for a minute. Pastor, he did it again. Mama, Mama. And she just, you know, this is what he did. And the third time, he said, Mama. And she just stopped and leaned down. Sister Margie kind of quit playing, praying and stepped back. And he looked up at her and she said, Baby, you've been prayed for. It's Mama's turn. Let Mama get prayed for. That little boy looked at his mom and said, But Mama, I can see. And God healed that baby. They broke out into two years, Pastor. Two years. I was sharing with you about the revival last night. Two years of revival. During that revival, there was somebody who walked in and gave the church $137,000. Just one chair. That, that, that was happening all the time. Not that finances are important, but it is a part of revival. When God opens heaven, it opens heaven. It opens heaven over your pocketbooks. It opens heaven over your spiritual body. Uh, when, when we were in this revival in, in Lafayette, there were angels that were showing up in the services. Angels sitting in cars where people, I mean, God was moving in such an awesome way. I was called into the ministry during that meeting. I want you to know that God wants to open your eyes tonight. Can you stand to your feet? And Pastor, I don't know if you have something that you put on. Music-wise, I know you do. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. Can you just slip up your hands and just love on Jesus?